Central. <laughs> That's an odd selection of uh, devices that you would watch Netflix or a Crunchyroll on. <laughs> I did not know Game Grumps was in the commercial game. Um, I don't think they are. Well, I, but they've sure made they're... they've made a commercial for for a Shovel Knight amiibo, and they've made a commercial for Crunchyroll. So that would mean they just make infomercials now, right? Um, I think it might be like just like a brief ad. Like if you've ever seen um, Cinema Sense. Yes. At the very end, looks you like watch out. Here comes an ad. Fair <laughs> warning. And then they say something about a nature box or uh, something snarky like he does. Yeah. Kind of like just a promotional thing. Yeah. Like, It'd be absolutely terrible to include random ads in the middle of your show. Speaking of which, Cameron, have I ever told you about audible.com? No, you haven't. <laughs> Personally. You know, there was a long, this is a long trip up to Seattle for this podcast that we're recording right now. But if we went to audibletrial.com slash aceofgeeks before we left, we could have signed up for a free trial and gotten access to over 180,000 audiobooks. I'm totally All listening. Of, I know, I know. Many of which we could have listened to on the plane over. Not the whole thing, because it's like an hour like, plane ride. No, you couldn't. There are no short stories like, well, maybe. You could probably listen to one Cthulhu story. <laughs> But wouldn't you go mad? We are wizards, we are crewmen, we are Jedi superhuman. Warriors fighting on the side of good. We are DMs, we are players, we are hardened undead slayers. Elven archers roam the enchanted wood. We all pretend to be something so. Why not pretend to be something interesting? Nerd on, my friends, nerd on. Keep it up and we can rule the world. Whatever you love is not wrong. There's power in your phantom. Keep strong, nerd on. But, but we just did one. So Cameron, put the book down. It's recording. What right now? This yes. Is, oh darn! <laughs> I was doing all this homework and things. Yeah. No, you don't need to learn about essential elect. Oh, electronics. No. Nope. Like electronoids. No, it's totally not necessary to today's society and stuff. No, no, electro. No. Nobody uses electronics for anything, no. especially recording podcasts. Of course not. <laughs> so, it's the eve of your first packs. How do you feel? I am nervous. For is your body ready? No, it is not. <laughs> Pizza will be arriving soon, and then my body will be ready. <laughs> I need to get myself uh, into the full like nerd mode. You know, like, right before you're playing, like, a D&D game, and you're just like, uh, I need my pizza, I need my dice, and my pencil, and my character sheet. Now I am ready to experience an adventure. <laughs> you can't, yeah, it's true, you really can't D&D without some sort of snack in the area. It just doesn't work. Oh, I know. It's pretzels or pizza. You know, the first time I played 5th Ed D&D was at a PAX? Really? No, sorry. The first time I enjoyed playing 5th Ed D&D was at a PAX, because <laughs> we played that um, uh, demo that Nick ran for us at, 
Dundracon or Kublacon one year, um, back when they were still in beta. Ago? Yeah. Oh, that's right. And it was super boring, and I hated it. I remember that, too, because um, I started on 4th edition, and for me, I'm like, yeah, this is all about battle and awesome strategizing and all these cool things. And then you moved on to 5th, which is, I hear, like, 3rd. 5th um, is, is like 3.5 like, without all the bullshit. Well, I hear it's just like, uh, you hit a thing, do you not hit a thing? All right, yeah. your turn's over. Oh, I, I don't, I can't string attacks with my friends? No, <laughs> no, you just hit a thing. Okay. That's that's how it is. That's how it was when we played that game with Nick. It's definitely not how it is now. Um, but I remember that first game, like, after the, you know, sheets upon sheets of powers I had in 4th edition, I was playing a cleric, and I was like, I guess I hit it with my axe? My turn's over? <laughs> I can that's move, though, right? Sad. <laughs> I mean, you, you can still do, like, minor actions and, like, try yeah, and interact with totally. people, but... How many DMs nowadays let you actually talk to the bad guy? They say, no, they just want to kill you. It depends on the DM. I often let people talk their way out of a situation because it's more fun that way. Except, although we did have, um, <laughs> I remember we played one um, either 4th or 3.5 game way back in the day. Um, and two of my friends who had never played D&D before were really expecting, like, we're going to go and murder some orcs. And uh, they... The Jairus was running the game, mm-hmm. um, and uh, of course we we had hired to go kill these orcs, and we get to the camp, and all the orcs in the camp are like sickly, like women and children and old orcs, and we're like, we're not gonna kill these people. Something else is going on here, and so we had to actually like go investigate. And to my two friends who had just wanted to kill things, were like, oh, <laughs> but I have this axe. I mean, so like at the end of the first Mass Effect, yeah. Um, you know, you get to choose how you uh, fight them, and you can either just, like, straight up fight, was, I think, Cyrus? Saren. Was Saren was his name. Um, I was like, I was, you know, a total badass at that point. I'm like, I could, like, destroy this guy, but it kind of gave you these options to keep talking your way through. Yeah. Which I thought was really awesome, because I'm like, oh my god, I'm using diplomacy to beat the bad guy. This is amazing! Well, I found very early in that game that if you didn't level up either your... I can't remember, it's the first Mass Effect they had, like, good talking and evil talking skills you could level mm-hmm. up. It was, like, diplomacy intimidation or something like that. It was the, um, Paragon or Renegade if right. you wanted to go your evil or neutral or positive. Yeah, so I had to run through, um, you know... I, I found very early in that game that if I didn't level up one or the other, there was certain situations that you were just screwed in. Like, Rex would die if you didn't have one or the other leveled up by the time you got to that one scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like the first two games were a little less strict about yeah. that. Or they just kind of said, oh, you can you can mess up here or there, or if you really want to, you can make a bad decision or an evil decision. Yeah. Like punching a reporter in the face or something. <laughs> but by the time the third game came around, they're like, "No, you have to choose every single Paragon option there is available if you want the Paragon ending. Otherwise, you are screwed." Really, Mass Effect Three? Uh, Mass Effect Three, you got a choice of ending no matter what you did. There was one ending where um, spoilers, uh, where you and your, um, your sergeant buddy. Uh-huh. Um, and you can either choose to shoot him yourself, or he would um, get shot by someone else, I think. That's and enough. it was locked at the uh, Renegade position. I'm like, no, I've chosen 
every single good option. There is no way I should be locked into this evil decision. I wonder what... When... Wait, you're... Which friend? What, what alien friend? It wasn't an alien friend. It was, um... It was either, like, a lieutenant or a sergeant who was, uh, your higher-up. Oh! Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, at the very, very end. Mm Mm-hmm. It was, like, one of the last decisions you made before But I had the ability to save him, um, and I hadn't gone full Paragon, so when I went to the Krogan planet, I went renegade, 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 because that's diplomacy on a Krogan planet. (laughs) Yeah. That... That was a fun level, but... All I remember was the giant worm from that planet. Oh man, that giant worm was so much fun to fight. And then the really sad scene, and yeah, then my heart broke, and I almost decided not to finish the game. There were a couple of scenes like that in Mass Effect Three. It was really big on tearing your heart out and leaving like holes. I think because the writers were thinking this is the end of the chapter. Anyone who you love, we've got to make a really big impact. Otherwise, yeah. you won't remember this game. Yeah, and now we remember this game. I I remember there was a um uh when you got to the scene with uh, Grunt's cameo um, and like at the end of the mission you basically had to order him and his men to sacrifice themselves for the greater good um, and uh, and so I did but I'm just sitting there in the living room just sobbing as the game is like <laughs> showing me him dying oh. but then it turns out if you'd done his loyalty mission in Mass Effect 2 he survives and so he stumbles out like all beaten up and is okay and I was just like he gives in the room and I'm just a mess. It's just like, what happened that I'm like, video games, man. Fucking video games. Uh, there are some video games that I swear to God, I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting this teary-eyed over a story. Dude, in a game. the first time, I remember the first time I ever cried in a video game is, do you ever play Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy III, it was called in the U.S.? Uh, no, I've only played ten and a tiny bit of ten too. Okay. Uh, well, there's a scene where there's a character who's basically slowly dying in bed. And, um, you can save him if you knew the trick. And I knew there was a trick, but I didn't know what the trick was. And so I was just trying everything, and then he died. And then, like, my little ten-year-old self was just, I don't know what to do, I've tried so hard to save him, and there's nothing I can do. Strangely enough, I didn't have, like, um, tears sobbing, but I definitely felt a little depressed after this game finished. Uh-huh. Believe it or not, it was at the end of Kingdom Hearts 1. Oh, no, 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 I totally get that. Just because you do this huge mission, you um, save your friends, kind of, um, <laughs> and, then all of a, and, and then all of a sudden it's like, um, oh, uh, we can't be together, we're breaking up, or we're... Uh, we're literally breaking like, up. Literally the breaking up. breaking up around this. I won't be able to hang out and have a happy ending, I'm going off to some... Castle Oblivion place. Well, and you know, the the thing with that that drove me nuts was, yes, I understand the symbolism of, like, the Earth is slowly separating them and stuff, but, God damn it, I had spent a whole bunch of time giving Sora super glide. He could fly! Oh, he could have hopped over there. Yeah. I don't understand his, I need to stay on this side of my floating island. Seriously. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> I, I did start a new game right after that, and then once I got to the Destiny Islands part and they introduced all your friends again, I'm like, I just can't do it. Yeah. <sighs> and then the rest of the game spiraled and an addiction was made. I have never, like, I've never really played another, other than Kingdom Hearts 2. I played the Shinar Kingdom Hearts 2, but I've never played another, I really played another Kingdom Hearts game beyond that. Like, the handheld games, I just never got into. Out of all the games, I've played, um, 
every single one except for Coded and uh, Dream Drop Distance because I didn't have a 3DS. I had fun with Dream Drop Distance, but I don't know. I It was another Kingdom Hearts game. It started with, and now you have to spend three hours in Traverse Town before you can go do anything, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, like I've, I've watched a playthrough, and as much as I enjoyed some of the story plots of it, yeah. The one thing I didn't like, and a lot of other Kingdom Hearts fans didn't like, is that Sora was kind of a dumbass throughout the entirety of Dream Drop Distance. Like, you can see his intelligence go up in Kingdom Hearts 2, and he's a bit more mature in Kingdom Hearts 2, and then all of a sudden he's like a kid again in yeah. Dream Drop Distance. Well, and the games got so dense, too. Like, I started playing Dream Drop Distance, and I was like, okay... And now Sora and Riku are training to be Keyblade Masters with Master Yensid, and they live in, like, the city with Mickey, and I'm like, wait, when did any of that happen? It's like, when is everything going on? Yeah. Well, that's because everyone keeps thinking, oh, all the Kingdom Hearts games are spin-off yeah. games. And it's like, there's a few that are not really necessary to plot coded. Um, <laughs> and then But there's... what about recoded, Cameron? No, I've, I've watched it on the Kingdom Hearts... Uh, special edition thing and yeah. nothing really happens uh, there's like one or two um uh scenes that involve Maleficent on how she knows about other worlds and uh the Keyblade and all that stuff but it's not really important to the story there's okay. like the ones that are important are uh Birth by Sleep cause it kinda sets up the whole Xehanort saga yeah uh, Dream Drop Distance because this one directly sets up three. Yeah. And if you have no idea what's happening in there, you're going to enter three and be like, what is going on? Who are these people? Yeah. And that's going to happen to a ton of people. Oops, room service is here. We'll be back. Right. So, um, you know how the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2, you're just like, who the hell is Roxas? Yes. And but that one at least was explained throughout the course of the game. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay. I don't know exactly who the organization is, or I don't know exactly who um, some of these, you know, major players are. But it wasn't really necessary um, to understanding all of Kingdom Hearts, because yeah. they explained it really well. I feel like unless they do that with Kingdom Hearts 3, there's going to be a lot of players who have no idea what's happening. And who are kind of annoyed about it. Because people have been waiting... There's a lot of people who have been waiting for Kingdom Hearts 3 with this kind of bated breath for like like Half-Life 3 number of years and haven't been playing the handheld games because they, like, like we were talking about, they don't think they're part of the story. I think they're mm-hmm. spin-off games and the only story occurs in the main console games. Well, so, like, Kingdom Hearts 1 came out in 2003, and then Kingdom Hearts 2 came out in 2005. Right. And then... Now Kingdom Hearts 3 is coming out at least 10 well, years later, if not more. They have a release date. But they're not going to... Internally. Yeah. <laughs> um, my guess is that it's going to be released in 2017. If That's... we are really lucky, it'll be released next December. Yeah, it might make holiday of next year. Maybe. I mean, if it does... I'll just die afterwards yeah. and my life will be complete until they say no we're starting a new saga <laughs> that will also range over seven games and another 15 years kind of like how at E3 this year they announced a new a brand new Mass Effect saga oh yeah yeah um I don't know how I feel about it I mean I'm excited because I like enjoying I enjoy the lore and the universe that's there but 
I hear it's like supposed to have no connection whatsoever to the previous. Well, it's in a brand new galaxy, so it's a some sort of human oh, mission. Right, from, Andromeda. Yeah, that's tech, but went to Andromeda, which that probably means there's going to be a whole bunch of new aliens, a whole bunch of new locations, a whole bunch of new threats, and basically it's going to be very similar universe-wise, like in terms of the technology and in terms of the. Uh, Interactions and how the systems work in the game, but it's not going to be very familiar. That was rambling, but basically, it's going to be the same type of game, but it's going to be a brand new set of characters, and it's not going to feel very connected. And because it's another galaxy, we're not going to see, like, Rex making cameos or stuff like that that I'd really like. <laughs> well, I, I could get into that, just, um, like, in this expanded world, it's like, here's, you know, on the... Like, meanwhile, on the other side of the galaxy, <laughs> you have space pirates, and that's who you're going to be playing as. Yeah. If that would be you, cool. It would be kind of cool. Uh, kind of go in the opposite direction of you're a military man, and you're collecting uh, crew members from around from a the military galaxy. ship. Yeah. Um, Which was a nice ship, though. I love the Normandy so much, dude. That's the most military ship I've ever wanted to serve on in space. The only thing is, in the first game, there was uh, the two human characters who you started out with. Yeah. And um, everyone who I've ever talked to has uh, stayed with the girl. Um, I, I did, but I decided randomly. And they got rid of Caden. Uh, I, I closed my eyes and flipped the controller back and forth and then hit A and saw who I saved. Because I couldn't make the decision. When I played the game, I went in initially thinking... I want to meet aliens. I really want to meet all the aliens out there. And the one thing I got from her is, I hate aliens. So she was an alien racist to me. And I thought, well, I don't need you on my ship. Hmm. Yes, it's a cold hearted decision. Why don't you decision. valiantly sacrifice your life for me? <laughs> I did feel bad. It's like, okay, it's either the death between this guy and the death between this girl. I'm like, why can't I just save everyone? Yeah. But... Which I think was the point of that twist in the game, was that the game being very clear, like, this is not going to be the sort of game where you can say or what. Let's make it very clear in game one, like, choose a crew member to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And do it now. I mean, they kind of did that at the beginning of uh, Dragon Age 2. Forgive me for mentioning it. But... I liked that game. I enjoyed it, too. I didn't think... I mean, I, I see the, the complaints people had. The fact that all the missions took place in the same five areas was really annoying. Uh. But the, the characters were really cool. Much better than the Dragon Age 1 characters. I am uh, shamelessly a fan of hack and slash games. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, the combat is amazing! I love it! Well, it's not amazing, but it was good! Yeah. And in the very beginning, they're like, uh, here you are as a badass, um, doing all these badass things with these really cool weapons. Um, or in my case, really awesome magic. Your awesome magic. And then you get to... I don't think you get to choose who dies in your party, but depending on your class that you choose determines uh, which of your siblings dies. dies. Yeah. So, like, you probably kept your brother or your sister, whoever was a mage. I think it was the brother... No, the brother became a warden. I think the sister was a mage. Yeah. My first playthrough was as um, a rogue with a heart of gold. Hmm. As I do. See, I was a, a scoundrel wizard with a heart of gold. That was actually my second playthrough, was I played as a, uh, a blood mage, 
Oh. Um, oh no. Who was, I think, a racist. <laughs> um, See, I couldn't. And who was in love with, uh, what's his name? The guy who had, uh, was it Justice or? Uh, oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Was it Cullen or? I don't remember his name, but. Um, do you ever have? Because um, obviously you don't complete a racist blood mage, but mm-hmm. I have this thing where I, I invest too much in a character in a game, so I can't play evil, awful characters in games. I, I just can't do it. Even though I know I'm locking myself away from certain content and storylines in the games by not doing it, like I just I feel too guilty about the horrible, horrible things that I've done. So my first playthrough was always, you know, the good character. Right. Always Paragon, or always trying to find out the best way to, uh, you know, solve a problem for something. Um, same thing with uh, Mass Effect. Always try to do the Paragon way of things. And I've heard some of the dialogue that comes from like the uh, the bad ending or the uh, evil endings, and they are funny sometimes, and also horribly terrible. Yeah. Um, and I want to, you know, balance myself out by playing Femshep, because I hear she is amazing, um, but I don't really want to play Femshep as a bitch. Yeah. Because, like, this means that I have to play the game three more times. I have to play the game as Paragon Femshep, then I have to play the game as Renegade Femshep, <laughs> and then Renegade uh, Normal Chef, I That's guess. That's why I like the way I play Mass Effect, where I just, instead of saying oh, I'm going to spend this game with all Paragon or all Renegade. I'm going to pick whatever choice best fits the situation. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can be a Paragon of absolute, you know, like, the coolest guy in the world, and you're, like, nice to everyone and compassionate, and sometimes you still got to punch a bitch in the face because she's asking <laughs> the wrong questions in your TV interview. <laughs> well, I guess that's how I played um, Dragon Age Inquisition. I'm like, I'm just going to play me as a snarky, uh, you know, good guy. Unless I really need to be stern, then I'm going to chop a guy's head off, because he needs to learn what's what. <laughs> and by him, I mean the rest of the country. Yes, because he will have not have learned, because his head will be off. Yes. But for the most part, like, what I found out is through all the snarky, you know, sarcastic uh, quips or choices that you can make, by the time that you get to the, um, uh, the court scene... Yeah. Apparently that's how everyone talks. It's just um, like underhanded comments and snark, uh, snark, snark, yeah, snark, very snark, snarky. Snark, snark. I felt like if I went into there, you know, pulling off like, oh, I believe the best way of doing things is rallying the troops and everything, I would have gotten the Eddard Stark uh, treatment. Being, <laughs> oh, he's so noble. Oh, let's see how easily we can play him for a fool. Yes, <laughs> we brought you here so we could kill you. I heard that um, when Sam played, uh, he was an elf as his main character, uh-huh. and as he walked in, uh, the first thing they mentioned to him was a really racist slur. <laughs> They're like, oh, you and your uh, knife ears can go over here and uh, on the side. I'm like, dang, you guys are... <laughs> God damn it. Not shying away. See, that's one of the things, so, um, you know, Bioware games are really great for telling good stories, but... They, because the stories and the conversation systems are locked into cutscenes and you don't have freedom to take whatever action you want, mm-hmm. sometimes I prefer um, the Skyrim or Fallout approach. Because, like, 
I um my, my favorite story from Olivia, and I'm sure I've told this in the podcast before because it's it's so very unlike me. But yeah. there's this quest in Oblivion where you're meant to investigate these strange disappearances, and you go to this village, and it seems perfectly idyllic on the surface. And after just like you know a few hours of searching and investigating, you can very easily discover that everyone in the village is an evil Cthulhu cultist. And every single one of them have been uh, party to uh, kidnapping and torturing and murdering these innocent girls from surrounding villages. And when I found that out, I was like in the middle of a conversation and one of them confessed it to me. And literally, the moment they confessed, in mid-sentence I chopped off their head. And then I just went through the village and murdered oh everyone. <laughs> I was just like, nope, nope, there's nothing to be done here. Salt the earth and let God sort it out. <laughs> I mean, um, there was a scene that, or something that was similar that happened to uh, me in The Witcher 3. Uh, not that bad. I didn't go and slaughter an entire town because <laughs> you can't harm innocent civilians in yeah. with The Witcher. But... They weren't innocent civilians. They were awful murdering cultists. But continue. Yeah. Uh, there was a vampire that I was tracking, and he was capturing uh, ladies from off the street, and he would uh, suck out their blood and, like, um, remove their entrails and then burn oh, their eyes gross. out and say this was in the name of their god, the Fire Lord, or whatever. Fire Lord Ozai. Um, <laughs> uh, this was in the name of Mark Hamill. <laughs> so... Um, I'm tracking him down and finding out all these, uh, you know, victims that he took hostage, and I find, like, finally track this guy down to, like, a hotel room, and he's up there on the top floor with this woman who's, like, uh, bound and, you know, looks all damaged and stuff, and he has, like, a hot poker in his hand, and I'm like, oh, no, there's no explaining for you here, and I'm usually a guy who will go and, like, read through every dialogue to find out all the facts, and I'm like... Oh, fuck no. No, fireball. <laughs> you were gonna die. <laughs> and then I found out later, oh no, he was actually a pawn and the real vampire got away and to continue his, uh, you know, murders, and I felt so horrible <laughs> because you can't do anything to stop him. Yeah. I mean, there's rumors that you can uh, find, like, a letter that will lead you to killing him, but I searched for, like, days so I could finish this mission the right way and kill all of them, but no. Yeah. That one I feel just terrible about. This one at least, I mean, I I did give people a chance to explain themselves, and they were all very like, no, it had to be done, the women had to be sacrificed, and I'm like, alright, off with your head. What about you? How do you feel about these women? (laughs) That crazy way of, this will be the only way to appease the gods. Yes. It's for the greater good. The greater good. Oh. So, what game are you most excited about to, to uh, play at PAX this year? Oh, God. <laughs> Keeping in mind that most of the major video game companies that have things coming out soon will be there, and most of the major board game companies that have things coming out soon will be there. So, I don't know what's confirmed to be there so that we can be completely off base here, but... I mean, I'm not sure if this will be there or not, yeah. but I guess for indie games-wise, because I kind of narrowed it down to two, uh-huh. is uh, No Man's Sky. Yes. Um, which I look forward to as that relaxing uh, game of, let's go see the rest of the universe. 
and I guess there's kind of shooting in it, but it's there kind is. of, it's, that's the one thing that's a little oddly placed for me, is like, I kind of thought it as we're going out there and we're documenting things, like, uh, you know, scientists would, yeah. it's like, I'm gonna go to planet Schnurtblock and, <laughs> you know, find out what animals they have there. Well, I think you still can, um, I think what they added is they added this, um, uh, these creatures that are on the planets that defend the planet so if you decide to like harvest the resources of the planet these robots will start chasing you and then you have to kill the robots if you want to continue harvesting okay so if you do want to just go planet to planet and like document I think you can as, as long as it's not like another like reaver situation because <laughs> that's what I've noticed about almost every sci-fi out there is there's always a reaver uh, for those of you who can't see I'm air quoting the um, <laughs> For those of you who can't see, which is everyone, because it's not a visual medium. <laughs> there could be psychics out there. That's true. Which would be amazing, and I want to meet you. If you're a psychic, please email the podcast. <laughs> um, just that whole, like, the uh, psycho, crazy, man, flesh-eating bad guys. They're in, like, they're in Star Wars, they're in Firefly, they're in, you know... Wait, where are they in Star Wars? Um... Right now, they are kind of like uh, the Yuuzhan Vong. The Vong weren't, like... No, because I know what you're talking about. You're talking about things like Reavers and from Firefly and, like, husks and... It's and, like the self-mutilation yeah, thing. The Vong, yeah, the Vong self-mutilation was much more like... Um, Zen is the wrong word, but that kind of thing where it was like... You know, it was devotion to their religion that caused them to... You mean they're trying to reach... Um, It's in the Hindu religion where they're trying to reach. Uh... Oh, uh, Nirvana. Yes. Yeah. Kind of. Like There's that. a word we should know, <laughs> given the, the era we grew up in. <laughs> the nostalgia era. No, the era where Nirvana was a very popular band. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, right. And the other game that I'm looking forward to, I lost track for a second. Um, is Mad Max. Yeah, I hope that's got a playable demo. I've seen uh, I've seen two playthroughs of it. Like just one is where uh, he's taking his car into a sandstorm. Yeah, which looks fantastic and uh, terrifying. Yeah. Um, although this was a playthrough that had it basically on mute and had two guys talking over it, <laughs> I'd like to experience the game with like some nice headphones or like. <laughs> nice surround sound. Yeah. So you could feel the thunder as you're driving through here. <laughs> I feel like they would definitely add to the atmosphere. And then there was um, one other one where I think he was just fighting some other like outlanders or yeah. something. That one looks, I'm, I'm really hoping because it looks like a game kind of like um, um, what other game that I played recently that was like this? Um, I don't remember what game I was thinking of, but there was a game very recently that came out that was... Um, like, uh, Batman's Combat and, like, somebody else's... Oh, uh, Sleeping Dogs oh. uh, was Batman's Combat and, like, GTA's Driving and, like, uh, what I'm really hoping for Mad Max is they just crimp... Instead of trying to do their own thing, they just really crimp the best systems from every from other games for what they're trying to do so that they'll have really tight controls for this experience. Because mm-hmm. that would be really fun. I'm... I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm a little worried about uh, driving in the desert because I've only found a few driving games that actually feel uh, right when you're driving in the yeah. desert. Like, uh, Jack and Daxter almost got it right. 
Um, except there was a few times that I felt like if I hit, you know, a pinprick in the middle of the desert, my rover would flip over six times, and then I would have to start over. Um, and then, I think, uh, oh, what was Red Faction got it pretty well. Yeah, that was good. And, um, Borderlands 2 kinda got it well. The only problem I have with Borderlands 2 is that they only had two cars to choose from. And that made it very boring. Yeah. Destiny um, only has one type of vehicle that you can, like, have as your vehicle to spawn. And then I was finding out, as I'm driving around, there's other types of vehicles, at least two other types of vehicles that you can find in the world. Um, that, but you um, can't keep them in your No, you can't. They have to just, like, drive them around for a few minutes until they blow up. That's really sad. Yeah, I know. It was kind of depressing. Um, I mean, I, I think with Mad Max is uh, you don't get multiple choice in cars. Yeah. Is that you get to upgrade your current car. Which is also almost as cool. Which is cool. Like, you go out and you find uh, scrap metal or uh, random pieces and you decide to Frankenstein your car. <laughs> um, Honestly, when it comes to car driving, I really hope they go for a more arcadey feel rather than a more realistic feel with the car. It's like I played, you know, um, I grew up on Mario Kart, and like, so when I play things like Forza, I'm like, I can't handle this shit. This is too much for me. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some weird, like, uh, you need to have it, like, the perfect timing, otherwise you feel, like, either you'll spin out or, uh, your drift will be really bizarre. There's, yeah. There's been a few games where I'm like, no, I, trust me, I know, I've played racing games since, like, you know, well, for me it was... Mario Kart, and then after Mario Kart, it was Burnout, which is mostly about crashing cars. Yeah. But still, that one felt like the most uh, realistic driving to me. Not that I race cars at 250 miles an hour. What, you don't? <laughs> it's a truck. It only goes up to 70 and miles an hour. And you only got hour. your license like a year ago, right? <laughs> so, doesn't keep me from, you know, resisting the challenge to take on a gas tanker and <laughs> me. <laughs> Or, like, you know, when they have those... Isn't that uh, weird when you're, like, driving... So, I'm sure this is because we both grew up playing video games, but, like, when I'm driving down the street and I see a gas tanker in front of me, my first thought is, if I shot that just right, it would explode spectacularly. Oh, exactly. Every single time. And I'm like, if it wasn't for the fact that it was be- that I knew this because of video games and action movies, I would be worried I was a sociopath. <laughs> well, same thing with the, uh, when they have the car loaders and they have, like, a big ramp. In front oh, of God, you. yeah. And you think... I could totally take this and land on top of that uh, overpass and then just, like, drift into a turn and land in the next, uh, you know, There's, restaurant and be a badass. Um, or I could die and faceplant. <laughs> yeah, that too. There's a um, uh, billboard on um, uh, El Camino in Belmont that's really close to the ground. Like, not only billboards are way up high, this one's, like, two feet off the ground. And my first thought is always, I wonder how many points I could get by crashing <laughs> my car through it. There's got to be a secret on the other side. Just gotta bomb the right spot, man. If there was a magical kingdom that you just need to crash through. Yeah. There would be a magical kingdom. It would be called the medically induced coma I would be in after I crashed my car through a uh, billboard and onto some train tracks. Less sad. Less sad. Anything else you're looking forward to? Um, not right off the top of my head. Alright. What about you? Uh, I am really looking forward to getting to play Overwatch. Um, and I said, said when we were on the plane that I'd tell you about this later, but Overwatch is, um, 
Blizzard's newest game that they're working on. Um, it's a first-person shooter um, with uh, objectives like Team Fortress 2, so it's like, you know, capture the zones or carry this thing. But all of the... Um, instead of having classes like Team Fortress 2, it has a bunch of different characters like in a MOBA, so like, like in League of Legends or something like that. So there's like going to be something like 50 or 60 different characters you can play out, each with their own unique wow. styles and play, play sets and like... Uh, it looks really fun, and the character designs are so freaking cool. There's like, um, there's this one guy uh, named McCready. He's a cowboy, mm-hmm. and um, he uh, he moves really slowly, but he can fire his like six shooter really quickly and really accurately. And his um, ultimate power is he uh, uh, like slows down time and dead eyes people, like in Red Dead Redemption. Um, really cool. And then we'll just take them out with one hit. But the um, <laughs> the way the enemies hear it, that his alt is going off, is they start hearing like um, Ennio Morricone style Western music playing. <laughs> like, where is that coming from? Hide, hide! <laughs> I hear a flute and some banjos. <laughs> um, there's a character who I'm really excited to try uh, called Tracer. Uh, she's one of the first heroes they announced, and um, she has. A power that allows her to teleport forward, and then another power that allows her to um, rewind time, but not actually rewinding time, but she like reverses up her last few steps. Uh, and so her ultimate power is this giant. Really familiar for some reason. <laughs> I might have shown you a video at one point, um, but her ultimate power is this like super powerful sticky bomb. And so what they were showing in the game was like teleport up, drop the sticky bomb, rewind yourself up, back up the stairs, and then like the person's like, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really cool. Yeah, it's super fun. I might have found my player character. <laughs> yes. Um, we'll have to get in line for that uh, sometime this week. Um, I'm also really excited to see what sort of Oculus Rift demos they've got this year. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, the last time I was here was two years ago. And while Oculus was this cool new technology, they hadn't really done anything for it. And so it was like, get in here and watch this race car demo with or, graphics from, like, PS2. Or play around in 3D space. Yeah. Of nothing. Um, I, I really want to try uh, Eve Valkyrie. Do you, have you heard about that one? It's the... Uh, it's not, is it, like, Eve Online? Or? It's in the same universe, but it's a Starfighter game oh, ooh, in ooh. Oculus Rift. And it looks really that fucking cool. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, they showed a demo for it at E3 this year. Um, a friend of mine mentioned that they really want to see a horror game for the Oculus Rift. Uh, there is one. It exists. It's um, a like sit in a in a room and like you can't move around. You can just look around while things start happening around you. That's okay. like the room starts out normal and then you know, like the lights flicker and the walls start bleeding and there's noises and like you can't move or get away. That sounds awfully terrible. Yeah, I would be. I don't know that I could make it through it. I mean. I am a terrible uh, horror game player. Uh, I got scared at, you know, uh, the first Bioshock game, which... Dude, no, the, the opening level of the first Bioshock, though, is terrifying, where you're in the depth sphere and that thing is trying to claw in to get at you. I, that was one of the scariest things I've ever seen in video games. For me, it's like that weird, um, like, you know, certain things that you're absolutely terrified of and you don't really know why. Like bunny rabbit masks are really <laughs> terrifying to me. Okay. That's um, oddly specific. You know, in uh, Donnie Darko, uh, the giant bunny rabbit named Frank is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a scene in Batman uh, Arkham uh, Arkham City 
where you go to the tea party with the Mad Hatter, and there's a whole bunch of other party guests with these creepy, twisted bunny rabbit faces. <laughs> and then in Bioshock, there's, you know, people with bunny rabbit faces and a whole bunch of other things that are trying to kill you with hooks and blood pouring out of places. It was not fun. No. And a little claustrophobic. That first game, man, that was such a masterclass of, like, atmosphere and terror and, like, fun design and... Oh, my, my whole idea is just, like, I just want to get out, I just want to get out. I just, can, can I just find the bubble thing to lead me back to the surface? Can I just go back to this bubble <laughs> thing? I don't really need to know what's going on here. Unlike Half-Life, which is like, can I just, just, just leave me alone, I'm just trying to go home. Yeah. Uh, I did remember two other games, which I'm not too sure if they'll show here, but I'm intrigued. Uh, one is the, um... Is it the New Horizon game? Uh, oh, that's probably way too early to be showing off the floor. They might have the trailer. They but... look like, well, they had a gameplay trailer at E3. Yeah, but oftentimes gameplay... So what happens a lot in these situations... Um, you mean like the like, watchdogs? Yeah, or like, well, not even like to that level, because that was just, you know, a version of the game that they ended up not making, basically. But um, they'll pour a ton of resources into making a short slice playable demo mm -hmm. of the game so that they can show that off on the E3 stage, but the rest of the game isn't anywhere near up to that level. And you can get a lot of trouble with that because that's what happened with um, Aliens Colonial Marines. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they did a lot of work on their playable demo and they took it to shows like this, and the finished game was nothing like it and people were really angry. I mean, they got kind of lucky that there was another Aliens game that came out like a couple months after that, which was really good. I think it was actually like two years after it, but yeah. Oh. But yeah, uh, I, 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 Isolation you can play on the Oculus That's what Rift. That's Alien really? Isolation, you can play that on the Oculus Rift. No, and thank you. <laughs> you can play it, um, so you know how that whole game, you're, you're um, uh, trying to hide from the aliens. There's nothing you can do, mm -hmm. and it'll just kill you. Um, there's a mode you can turn on in that game where... If you have a microphone, it'll listen to the microphone, and if you make a sound, the alien will hear you. Oh, that is terrifying. <laughs> so you I... have to, like, be quiet while you play. I don't want to, like, accidentally be, like, uh, you know, your phone buzzer. You're like, what is that? And you're like, oh, no, 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 no! <laughs> well, honey, you just got me eaten by a space <laughs> alien. Now I have to start all over. Thank you. <laughs> So, the other game that might be in the same situation as uh, the Horizon game, um, was that uh, Scalebound game? Scalebound? I don't know, but I remember that one. Um, I can't remember. I think it was shown at E3. It's an Xbox exclusive where you play what people are calling the Dante-esque character. Okay. Um, so, kind of like Devil May Cry, but you have a pet dragon. Um, who you can fly around and, like, kill all these big bosses and creatures. And it looks cool, but something about it kind of throws me off. What's that? Well, this entire time he was wearing what looked like Beats by Dre. <laughs> and I'm like, why is there a techno dubstep playing in the middle of my cool fantasy sword oh, fighting? Oh, man, that could be really cool if you did it right, though. I mean, if like they a did it right. hero with a dragon in a dragon world is like jamming to hip hop while he fights on the back of his fire breathing dragon. That could be pretty badass. If they pull it off right. Yeah. But they only showed a uh, this is how your characters fight trailer, and they showed almost nothing of the world you're in. So I want to know is like, is this like a Final Fantasy kind of world where <laughs> there's all these 
fantastic beasts, and yet you can have, like, hoverboards and airships and all these <laughs> kinds of things. And that would make sense. Yeah. But this almost felt like a... Uh, Not Lord of the Rings. I'm trying to think of a high fantasy series, but they put in, like, technology into it. Okay. Or, um, not steampunk, but, like, and not cyberpunk. It's, like, magic punk. Yeah, that's actually a, um, that's a, that's a, a real term um, that I've started using to describe the books that I write. <laughs> I've been actually trying to look for a board game that, or not a board game, but a, a role-playing game that uses magic punk. Eberron. Eberron is magic punk. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was more steampunk-esque, but... No, Eberron is... Uh, everything's powered by magic. Oh, good. And so it's like you get things like airships and, like, you know, sky trains and floating cities that are all powered by, like, captured spirits and, like, uh, summoning spells and, like, uh, you know, different rituals and things like that. It's funny because my uh, most... Well, for me, it's my most famous D&D character was from... Uh, the Eberron setting, but we never played an Eberron. <laughs> Which game was that in? Uh, this was uh, like one of my first D and D games with Nick. Oh, okay. Um, oh, the Forgotten Realms one. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was set in the uh, Dragonlands. 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 Yeah. Um, he was a on-purpose crazy character, which is always fun to play. <laughs> I, I, everybody was playing crazy characters in that game. I remember Stephanie was evil and really happy about it. She was very unhappy about a lot of things in that game. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's just how her character was. And uh, her character and my character had a history of basically growing up together. Although, she being an elf, she was basically like 36 for the past 50 years. Um... <laughs> Whereas I was growing from age, like, 1 to 23. Yeah. So she had to deal with all of my shenanigans. And only now do I realize, after watching um, a couple seasons of Doctor Who, that my character is basically uh, Captain Jack Harkness. <laughs> I, love, he... I love rip-off characters that you don't know are rip-off characters. Well, what I would do is that... Um, because my character's charisma was so high and we had a party of three characters, a lot of our uh, characters had to multitask for other uh, team members that we didn't have. Okay. So um, our defender was also our wizard. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but um, our rogue was also our negotiator. That um, makes more sense. I've done a lot of rogue negotiators. Um, and we it's did like, have... I've stolen everything from the treasury. But you don't know that, so now I'm going to talk our way out of this kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> and we did have a fighter who was our criminal leader. He would inspire people, but he'd also say, let's go steal some shit. <laughs> and my character would be like, hi, I'm Captain Mal. <laughs> and of course you can see, that's just... You can't even say that. Just stop introducing yourself. You've already said too many words. Hi, <laughs> I'm Captain Mal. <laughs> They did that in an episode of Doctor Who, where uh, uh, Captain Jack, you know, stops by, like, every lady and says, yes. Hi, I'm Captain Jack. <laughs> it's like, stop flirting. I'm not, I just said hello. For you, that's flirting. <laughs> that's kind of how it was with Mal, and I yeah. didn't know that until, like, five years after I played that game. <laughs> so what made you finally start watching Doctor Who? I don't know. I think 
just randomly, I'm like, you know what, it's been many years, all of my friends talk about it, and I have no idea what's going on, I'll watch the first season and see if I can get hooked. And then, I did. Um, <laughs> which is weird, because I was thinking initially that I wouldn't like Eccleston. I love Eccleston. I I love him, too. He's really great. I actually, it, it's funny, because I'm gonna get savage for saying this, but... Tenet is actually my least favorite of the modern doctors. Really? Um, and it's, it's not. I don't. It's not that I think he's bad. I'm I not at think the he's end one of the best doctors yet, ever right? had. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I don't like his character. You'll see how the end of his his arc plays out. But I I feel like Eccleston just perfectly captured like the war ravaged doctor trying to return to the more innocent days and failing. And Matt Smith, and you'll see this when you get to him, really captures a old, bitter doctor at the end of his life trying to hide it under being this, like, flightful, fancy char- fanciful character. Um, and then Capaldi is perfectly capturing actually being an old, bitter doctor <laughs> who's, who's really underneath it all, this innocent, jealous little kid because he's brand new. And Tennant was just kind of goofy. Like, his character, he didn't really have a doctor character to me other than, like, dashing leading man. Um, at the point that I'm at right now, it's like, to me, he feels like a, uh, I mean, there are some parts that I'm like, you are a psychopath. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you're clearly just a mass murderer who's trying to be innocent and having fun, and you keep getting randomly tossed into, you know, yeah. situations where you have to make terrible decisions that either cause, you know, the death of a planet or the death of a race or... And then you get to mope in the rain for a while, and all the fangirls and Tumper are happy. Mm. <laughs> right now, I'm on the uh, the Donna companion. Oh, Donna is my favorite. She's so good. I'm not attached to her yet. Like, well, how many episodes in are you with her? Um, I think I'm on what, the fourth series. I think. No, no, no. Not how many episodes of Donna are you in? On? Like um, two or three? She's or? been in for at least a season. So, like, 12 episodes. Oh. So, I, the most recent episode I've seen was, um... Right, I am thinking of the right one. I had to go through my, uh, list of companions to make sure I wasn't thinking of the wrong person. <laughs> um, you just got introduced to the doctor's wife in the library. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. R- River, River. Song. Yes. And you're like, oh, I do like you, because when I first got introduced to River... Um, it was when it was Matt Smith as the doctor, and yeah. basically she showed up and shot him. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I don't like you. You're, <laughs> you're terrible. And then That's I saw, so funny how out of order you've seen all of this, because of the random da- times you've wandered in when Stephanie and Maylene and I are watching. The first episode I saw was at your house when you still lived in San Francisco, and it was the <laughs> end of the world. And everyone knew what the four knocks meant, and I'm like, "What's going on? There's a big block. There's a big box and a big crack in a wall, and things are dying, and the end of the world, and restarting." And I'm like, I'm, "I'll watch this later." Yeah, I don't know what's happening. I have so, no yeah. idea. And then after that, Stephanie's like, "You need to watch the one episode called Blink." Blink is the best introduction episode of that show. It's probably like the gateway drug of Doctor Who. Well, Blink, I I would argue that Blink is the best episode of TV I've ever seen. The best single standalone episode of TV that I've ever seen. Like you could totally watch it without any context. Yeah, this is really cool. Really amazing. Yeah. Um, 
and now that I'm watching it kind of in order, it is kind of cool to revisit that episode and be like, I do know who these characters are now, and yeah. still, it's one of the best episodes. Yeah. But it just—it's funny. It's funny because it's an episode you can show your friends because you don't need to know anything about the Doctor to get it. Um, and so if terrifying. you're showing it to people who haven't seen Doctor Who before it really teaches them about the world of Doctor Who while introducing them to the scariest monsters in the last like 15 years of Doctor Who history mm-hmm. besides the, uh, the, uh, the most recent one that freaks out Manling a lot oh the silence yes they're not as scary as the angels though um, that one actually frightened me when I was watching it yeah originally I'm like trying my best not to blink and be like, okay, my eyes are getting really dry I know, now. you think about it. <laughs> and, um... We played a Doctor Who tabletop game, um, in, uh, just after college when my friends ran it, and, um, we were, uh, in this mission on the moon, and there were, like, we were all going down this creepy corridor, and there were all of these rooms with, like, 10,000 cameras pointing at these empty rooms. And we're like, what the hell has been going on here? We finally flipped through the video file library, and pull up the video from Blink of Dave, of uh, the Doctor talking about the angels, and we're just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck, we gotta go. We gotta go right now. <laughs> yeah, um... There was one thing that I really enjoyed about the episode, is that the way that they explained time yeah. in this one was... It just made a lot more sense when the Doctor said it, because I've seen them try to explain that way of time before, like in Watchmen... Yeah. Or it's like, he doesn't see time in a linear fashion. He sees it kind of all happening at once. And while reading that, I'm like, eh, yeah, non-linear right. doesn't really make that much sense to me. Yeah. And then when the doctor explained, I'm like, no, that, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Even though you're not really explaining it very clearly or scientifically. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly. Timey wobbly. Yeah. No, but it, it, that's one of, that was the first episode of anything with time travel in it that just... I was the most inventive use of time travel I've ever seen, where it was just like... Oh, uh, uh, reading a script that has not yet been invented yet. Yeah, like, you think the Doctor knows everything, but the Doctor doesn't know anything. The Doctor is just reading the script that was written in the future and then brought to the past for him to read. Like, it's just like... Ah. Uh. Oh, <laughs> it hurts. But it's so good. I know. Um, Stephen Moffat, the guy who wrote that episode and then later took over the show... Mm-hmm. Um, he came up with it when he was staying at a hotel in the middle of uh, bumfuck nowhere in England, and he saw a weeping angel statue in a cemetery, and it creeped him out. Um, and so, after the episode had aired, he brought his son back to like show him, like he's like because they were in the area. He's like, oh, let's get the, look at the statue that inspired it, and they get there, and the statue's gone. And he was just like, we left very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and that would terrify pretty much anyone. Yeah. Although I've been hearing some mixed reviews about Moffat lately. A lot of people don't like him. Um, I generally like him. I think um, I mean, it's I... hard to say. He has his really weak episodes and really weak plot lines, but so did Davies. Like, there hasn't been somebody who just like completely rocked Doctor Who in the relaunch. Well, there was Neil Gaiman. Yes. <laughs> Neil Gaiman's not a showrunner. He's just taken over two episodes. I, I've both... noticed that a lot of the... Uh, episodes that I enjoy are like written by one person it's like here he is and there he goes yeah um, there's this guy named Mark Gaddis uh, who writes a lot of episodes that I really enjoy he's uh, also plays um, Sherlock's brother on Sherlock the modern update oh Mycroft yeah he plays Mycroft <laughs> uh, 
I haven't seen uh, the series three yet. I have seen two episodes out of it, and then for some reason we never watched the third. I don't know why. And they're coming out with a Christmas special too soon, which takes place in the actual 1800s of, Sh- of Sherlock. Oh, cool. They're not going to explain why How these characters are back in the day. They're just going to do an episode as if they were playing the original versions, it's which is great. Special, I guess. But... Yeah, I'm excited to see it because I don't know, man. I grew up reading Sherlock Holmes, so I'm I I love those stories so much. I think like the first Sherlock Holmes story that I read was actually not about Sherlock Holmes. It was about two brothers. I can't remember the name of them. But it's the that's I think that's the sign of the four. It's the first Sherlock Holmes book, um, and it, it's most of it is not about like Sherlock doesn't show up until the very end. I'm not sure if it actually involves Sherlock at all. Oh, it's just for me. It was like it's a mystery. Uh, okay, you know, a drama kind of book for you know boys who are like twelve. Or yeah, whatever. The Hardy Boys. Yes. The Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys. Gotcha. Yes. And I was like, this is amazing. This is great. Are there any more? My dad says, no. We only have the one. I'm like, okay. Are there any more? Do you know how many Hardy Boys books were written over the years? I don't. There's like 60. Oh my god. There are all these little tiny paperbacks. There, in the 50s, This uh, there was this craze for it. And so they wrote like all of these Hardy Boys and all of these Nancy Drew books. They were like the goosebumps of the, mm-hmm. you know our parents' childhood. Um, and so there's a ton of them. Which is funny because I, I've only read like two Goosebumps books. And I wasn't overly uh, into them that much. I, like I, my friend read every single book. I devoured them when I was a kid. It was funny because, you know, so Goosebumps got really popular. And so suddenly all the kids in our school were reading. Mm-hmm. And all the teachers who taught us, you know, English were really pissed off because we weren't reading quality literature. That's and what they air quotes too. And, like, so they had these rules where you had to, like, read three quality books before you could read a Goosebumps book. Oh. And I, thought, I was looking at it, and I'm like, and this is the same reaction I had to Twilight. Like, yeah, okay, it's kind of shit. But kids are reading. Like, that's they, amazing. They told us, Get like, them uh, to keep doing that. It's like, you can do a book on, or a book report on any book you want, as long as it's not a Goosebumps book. Yeah. I'm like, Why? Uh, I mean, for me, it was uh, the Magic Treehouse books uh, when I was a kid. I don't know like, that I ever read those. It was my, um, it was like my kindergarten through like third or fourth grade. Okay. Um, it's about these uh, two siblings who go in this treehouse that travels back in time or forward in time, and they had all these cool adventures. Oh, nice! They're little short books. They're yeah. Fun. But the only other book I can remember was uh, the. Boxcar Children, which I don't oh. think was really a mystery kind of thing. No, but... that's just a sad book. <laughs> it's just sad a sad things. book. <laughs> yeah, I um, I wrote, I read a lot of books when I was a kid. I was just, I don't know, for some reason, reading too. taps into my brain the way like movies and TV do. Like I, so there's like a ascending order of in, immersion for me, like television. I can watch TV, but I, I end up getting, like, pulled onto my phone more often than I am, like, really paying attention to the episode. Movies, because I'm in, like, a movie theater, I'll, like, be able to immerse myself fully in the movie for, like, two hours. Mm-hmm. A book, I will, like, abandon everything for the book. Like, I will be like, stop talking to me. I'm not going to work today. I need to finish the chapter. <laughs> See, I used to be a big reader in, like, my younger days until I was introduced to the visual medium. Um, and, you know... Th- visually telling stories yeah. and that really hooked me where I'm like you can get fully immersed in this world which 
kind of takes away from using your imagination for filling in the blanks that your book that the book provides. Yeah. But it was kind of cool to be like, so this is like the music that they play in this world, and these are the animals that they have in this world, and you yeah, know, like this is what the world looks like until I got older, and like this is what the world looks like to this director. Yeah. Um, it's like nowadays I find myself listening to more audiobooks just because with, you know, our world today, everyone claims to have, you know, ADD or ADHD. Yeah. I just like to multitask and do multiple things. I can't. I, 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 like, I, that's why I don't do audiobooks because I can't just sit still and listen to something mm-hmm. unless I'm, like, in the car because then I, that's the only way I can entertain myself or I'll go mad. Um, but, like, <laughs> if I'm, like, at home... The only time I can listen to, like, podcasts or, like, audiobooks is if I have, like, a really bad headache and physically can't watch TV. Wow. Um, otherwise, I just, my my eye will start, like, reading things, and I'll start going on the internet, and then I'll stop paying attention to the book or the podcast. I can't just have something as background noise and retain it. See, my dad, like, kind of drilled it into me as a little kid. He's like, uh, if you're going to do, uh, you know, like, playing with your connects or playing with Legos... Or, no, if you're going to watch TV, you need to be doing something. Like, draw, or you need to play with your connects or play with your Legos. That's a good idea. Um, so, I've just started doing that over and over and over again. Eventually, I'm like, now I can kind of do these things. Like, alright, I'm going to go build, you know, a human robot out of connects and listen to the Harry Potter, uh, you know, audiobooks. <laughs> um, which worked really well for me. So, this way, I can, you know, watch, like, internet shows and play a video game which I think has no story in it. Yeah. Like, if my friends want to do multi, like, player online or something, yeah. I'll be like, oh, okay, I'll play online and, you know, I'll put on, you know, an episode of, you know, Markiplier Game Rooms or whatever. Yeah. Or listen to a podcast or Thrilling Adventure Hour or whatever. <laughs> uh, or obviously the Ace of Geeks podcast, which you listen to all the time, right? Yes, I do. I actually, um, I got to, like, I think episode 30 or episode 50, <laughs> and then I took a break. Um, because I kind of marathoned everything. <laughs> and then I got into an episode where all the audio slowed down. It was really weird. I'm like, okay. I should take a break and do something else. <laughs> yeah, there's a, te- there's a technical issue that happens with Soundtrack Track Pro sometimes, and I think there probably was one episode where I didn't catch it afterwards and just put it up that way. Also, of course, now I have no idea which episode that is, so I can't read the export. <laughs> it's also that whole, um, I don't know what it is, but you know when you have to watch things in order? Yeah. It's like, I have to listen to all the episodes in order, I have to do all that. And then I got to an episode that was, I think it was like 10% had like, uh, I think it had like Johnny Young Bosch in it, which was really awesome. (laughs) And then like the rest of it was all about wrestling. And I'm like, this is really boring to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The Johnny Young Bosch episode, we talked to him for like half an hour to an hour, I thought. Okay, I might have been getting my uh, episodes mixed up. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, there was a wrestling episode. I'm like, this is Mike's show. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's my show. So we can talk about what we want. Hooray. But, no, I'll get back to uh, listening to the rest of the podcast. Yeah, whatever, dude. It's not a big deal. Um, You'll but be yeah. fired if you don't listen to it. Yes. <laughs> you will be fired from the job that you don't do. <laughs> it's on the table. <laughs> or the shelf or whatever. It's on the shelf down the hall. Yeah. In the neighbor's apartment. Well, it's not look that at it far. Sometimes. It's still in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> you look at it sometimes. You take it out. I wonder, hmm, how can I do this without spending a lot of money? <laughs> I can't. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back on the shelf. <laughs> and there you go. That's where half of my movie ideas go. Like, this is a great idea. I can't make this without a million dollars. I'll come back to you. Stay there. That was actually my biggest issue in uh, film class. Yeah. Was they'd give you a prompt and they'd say, uh, all right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to make a chase scene where you just go from this location to this location just so you can try out these angles and stuff. And in my mind, it goes in this crazy imaginative thing of like, oh, what if we do this and this and this and that and this? And like, that would be, you know, not too hard, right? No, it'll be really expensive and kind of hard to find all those locations and yeah. hard to get all those actors together in one day. I was listening students. to an interview with Robert Rodriguez today and he had the best advice for filmmaking that I've never been able to follow, which is, you know, when you're writing a script, instead of writing the script for, and then trying to go out and get all the stuff in the script, figure out what stuff you have access to already and write the script for that. So, like, when he was writing El Mariachi, he was like, all right, my friend owns a bus company, so we'll put a, uh, a bus chase in the film. And, like, one of my uncles lives on a ranch, so the bad guys live on this ranch. <laughs> and, like, shit like that. I don't know. That's good ideas. I have yeah. to help you get started. Yeah, exactly. Make your story that way. I am really glad that our YouTube channel launched so I could start making just short video content for that. Well, uh, are we ever going to go back to Calkin and Barnabas? Because there's a, a whole lot of content that was filmed. Yes, there is. Um, there's a whole lot of visual effects that I don't know how to get done. So, Yeah, I actually started to dabble into uh, 3D animation. Yeah. Because there's a program that came out for free called Blender. Yes, um, I wanted to learn how to do that. I mean, some parts it's like some of the tools are very not uh, intuitive. Yeah, this comes from a guy who's been working on Photoshop for like years and years. <laughs> so I'm just like, this button does this, this button does that. These buttons do not do anywhere near the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> and yet when you think about it, they're like, okay, you press B for the box button or box select, and you press uh, you know S for scale. It's like it does make sense. Yeah. It's just really odd. Like, yeah. Learning new programs is always like that. Like, when I switched from Final Cut to Premiere, mm -hmm. it was just, like, there was, like, a couple of months of, like, I don't know how to do anything in this, and it's pissing me off. Uh, and then now I then now I get it, and I actually kind of prefer it, but... It's just, like, when you get used to, like, having your fingers in, like, the same position. Yeah. Like, all of my hotkeys are in this one little cluster. Um, or for video games, all my hotkeys are WASD... <laughs> shift into space and then all of a sudden you have this uh, entire keyboard being used it's a little weird but it looks pretty yeah uh, have you ever seen some of the uh, test footage for Blender yeah yeah I have yeah, I mean it looks really pretty and I wish I could do that but I don't think I have the machine <laughs> to kind of just run for the next 12 hours rendering one scene yeah it's kind of rough that way I feel like I would need um like two computers in my room, one to do all the rendering and one that I can actually like play games on. Yeah. But <laughs> be. Well, it's been an hour. We're going to PAX tomorrow. Yeah. Woo! Woo! We're gonna play some video games. Uh, folks, thank you very much for listening. We'll end this out the way that we always do, which is Hello and welcome to the Ace of Geeks podcast. Uh, Cameron, you can be Jarrett. If they want to email us, how can they do that? Uh things with Ace of Geeks uh, at 
something. Nope, com. you're incorrect. Darn. Email us at aceofgeekspodcasting at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. We're the Ace of Geeks. On Twitter, at Ace of Geeks. Instagram, at Ace of Geeks. And if you follow our Twitter this weekend, you're going to get a ton of updates from PAX because both Cameron and I will be tweeting from the floor. Cameron will be tweeting from the floor. For the first time! For the first time in forever, Cameron's going to tweet some shit. 